Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Lean Toss-Up College Football Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, and we are going to be previewing the Big 12, which, as we speak here today, is, is growing bigger by the hour. Uh, we are recording this on Thursday night. Literally yesterday, uh, the Big 12 in uh, Colorado was announced to the Big 12, and it seems like there's probably going to be a couple more on that, but I'm sure we're going to talk about that in just a couple moments. But of course, I will introduce my co-host at Buckmetrics. How are you? How are you doing tonight? Better than um, Pac-12. I'm I'm disappointed. I am disappointed in you. Do you yeah. want to know why? Yeah. Why? Uh, for those who are curious, go up on YouTube or Spotify. Listen to last year's Big Twelve preview, and I quote: "At the 26 minute mark, Buckmetrics." My metrics have Sam Dugan as the best non-option quarterback we've ever seen. Robert, I'm wondering if your model has TCU going to the playoffs, and if so, how far? And you fumbled the ball, buddy. You <laughs> you did not answer affirmatively. I laid it up for you, and you you didn't do it. So uh, I'm a gracious guy. I'll forgive you. You know, just put it out of your head. Second down and 10, we'll get past yeah. it. Um, having said that, I have done an amazing job scouting guests, so I have to pat myself on the back. Um, we have a, a great guest here. Nathan Brown uh, goes by at Big12Mafia on Twitter. I have a quote for Nathan. Um, that would be a Shakespeare quote. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves, that we are the underlings. So why do I say that? We... Uh, are the underlings. We like to get to the stories that the national media doesn't do, or they do lazily, or they do wrong, or they just show up to a football game and think they've got the angles, which uh, we don't do here. And I think Nathan fits in with us very well in that regard. He, um, you know, kind of the renegade, uh, you know, going off the well-worn path as we do too. So we are delighted to have him. Nathan, welcome. Are you ready? for the interview so that people can get to know you a little bit better. For one thing, you guys gave me homework and I don't test well. (laughs) I'm just telling you, there's a reason I don't live in a palatial estate. It's because I couldn't take tests in college. So if you're expecting highbrow conversation, you probably won't receive that. We'll we'll get it out of you. Uh, Trust me, we will. Um, Okay, all right. right. First question, uh, who was your team? I think we can kind of tell from your gear there. Right. Yeah, it's definitely BYU. Okay. And not to be too mean, but um, I'm just, I don't have any uh, Big 12 t-shirts. I go group of five. So just kind of curious if you remember this team. Uh, You're familiar oh, stop with it. Them? Okay. okay. That's yeah. pain. <laughs> that's just, all right. That's as mean as it gets. Yeah, and I I will that say that, yeah. Horrible. In fairness, horrible. In fairness, the last two times that BYU has played USC, y'all beat us both. Um, interesting trivia, last three teams to beat USC all in the state of Utah, BYU twice, yes. or BYU and Utah twice. Yep. Anyways, thank you for that. Robert, you want to take it from here? Yeah, so for, for the second question, and this one's going to be a bit more suspenseful, um, what's your favorite program outside of your own, outside of obviously BYU? Uh, University of Washington Huskies with uh, Washington State as a, like a 1B. You're a pure West Coaster, eh? Yeah, well, grew up in Washington State, uh, BYU fan through and through, but that uh, I'm, I am definitely loyal to the two that are in the state of Washington, yeah. Yeah, sounds good. All right, so there might be a little triangulation here between Washington and, and, and BYU. For which program do you have irrational or unsuspected disdain? 
what did I what did I say in the answer you guys asked me? I'm, uh, I'm, wow, you, you you don't test well, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. I, let me see. I can't even. I'd have to look back at our chats and see. Uh, let's see. Open disdain, Oregon. I Oregon. thought that's where Oregon, it had to go. Oregon. Yeah. Oregon is the. You know, and I'll tell you why. There's a reason. Oregon. They are all made by uh, Phil Knight, right? Oregon in the 80s and 90s was a laughing stock. And I'm not sure if you're – I'm not sure how much older I am than you guys. Maybe I'm not very over you, Mark. But they were absolutely laughing stock. And then one day, Phil Knight rolled in with like, I don't know, $20 billion or something yeah. and said, go build the program. Uh, I, this is my alma mater. I want you guys to be real. And ever since that, they've been – and so in my – you know, somebody said they were a blue blue blood the other day. That just cracked me up. That is that's hilarious. If Phil Knight disappears tomorrow, they have an endowment to continue to give him stuff from Nike, but they didn't earn where they're at. They basically got they paid to get there. Now they they've won games. They're good teams. Yep. But it's all been un, underwritten by Nike. So what's interesting too about that is Oregon was my answer. Um, oh really? Oregon was, Oregon was the answer to Robert's first question. Oregon is his team, so there's a pretty, pretty awkward dynamic here. I'll just I'll hand it off to Robert after that. So, <laughs> Luck, luckily enough, we're not doing the Pac-12 today, or what's left of yeah. the Pac-12. Um, right. All right. So now, uh, I think one of my favorite questions here: What's the best logo in college football, and, and the best helmet? Well, it's got to be BYU's white and white and royal blue. Uh, you cannot. In my opinion, it's it's the cleanest, and anywhere you go in the world, by the way, guys, BYU travels international. You could be a BYU hat in Italy, and I promise you, you could not go through a day without somebody <laughs> saying "Hey, Cougs." So, no. how many how many how many can do that? Notre Dame is the only other one with the same reach. True. That's it. Fair. So that's that's best logo and best helmet. Uh, I don't know if I answered those wrong, but. Uh, well, oh, yeah, you said BYU to both. Yeah, BYU to both. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah I think it's okay. BYU, yeah. All right. Uh, who was on your college football Mount Rushmore? So if you can, you can remember who you hate. Let's oh, see how much boy. of this you remember. Keith Jackson, <laughs> definitely. Wow. I like it. The first announcer. Yeah. yeah that is Keith a great Jackson, answer. Keith Jackson, fantastic, right? Uh, uh, oh, baby. I, I can yep. I could do it all day. Um, Lavelle Edwards. Ty Detmer. Um Let's see. Steve Young. Uh, th that's a good four. I think there's another one I actually answered different. But Keith Jackson, I he's my idol. I, I love him so much. I like him. Um, what do you love most about college football? The passion. The passion. Well, the only reason we're talking tonight isn't because we're super important people. It's that we're passionate about the schools that we care about. And that passion leads through everything else it covers religion politics there's nothing that college football passion doesn't supersede so in my opinion it's the best thing in sports right now i have just one one quick note on that for for marcos i think uh in some parts of the country um it is it is like a religion in in, in some parts right it's the it's, it's the big thing you do every sunday saturday you turn on the tv and you, you watch your team yep. right there's no yeah. like especially in some of the smaller markets right you're sitting there in new york yeah okay whatever you got the giants and the jets but like you're in a smaller market you're you've got your college and, and that's that's your team right that's your local team and, and you support them 
Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right. Your favorite college football moment? Uh, Ty Detmer running between two Miami linemen to throw a touchdown in Provo to beat the number one defending national champion, Miami Hurricanes, 1990. I was going to say, yeah, that was 1990, right? Now, it was absolutely the best best game I've ever seen. Evening game, if I remember, right? Like it was, those, yeah, it, yeah. It started in the that. afternoon, went into the early evening. Yeah. The, the 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 panning of looking at the mountains. If you've never been to Provo, yep. look up look up a picture up of uh, Lavelle Edwards Stadium in the fall, and it is top five in the nation. You got Tennessee, you got University of Washington. You can roll up in boats. Baylor, you can do that too. Um, uh, Provo, Utah. And then you'd have to go something like uh, maybe Ohio State or Michigan. But that, you're talking a top five venue. Easy. Okay. Um, which, uh, which college game day do you most want to experience? Uh, well, I mean, I'd love game day to be back in Provo for BYU. Yeah. Uh, Fair. I don't know if I gave you a different answer, but that would be my one off the top of my head right now. Okay. Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Go ahead. So who do you consider to be the best college football team that you've seen, either in person or on TV? The 2005 USC Trojans. Who get yeah, disqualified I, from every list because they didn't win a national title. But I don't care about I any of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't care about any of that. They won, they won games. And yeah, they, they lost to Superman one night. But every other night in the year, they were they they could have been playing NFL football. That team had so many NFL players on it; it's insane. Yeah. Um. Where? Uh, yeah. So, which movie have you seen the most times? Uh, Gladiator. Wow. Probably probably fifty or sixty times. You know what? With your voice and without the glasses, you could definitely have been like an extra in like some of those scenes. I think. Really? You, you've got wow. Yeah, yeah. You you project very well. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> There's anything I have as a voice, so I, that's something. It hasn't it hasn't really helped me in the past necessarily. People think I yell too much because I can't hear. I have I have hearing a little hearing problems, um, so it's a little loud for people in person. But on. Boy, it sure does work well on shows. So. Yeah, it does. It does. Okay. And your non-political message to make the world a better place. Be nice. Simple and to the point. I like it. Yeah. Be All nice. right. Big 12 overview. This is where I just go over some of the uh, recent doings of the Big 12. So we all know four new teams coming in. BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. Um, what's interesting to me from a metric standpoint, the three new teams coming in from the American, the teams they leave behind have an average power rating by buck metrics of negative 2.0. The conference foes that they pick up in their place have an average power ranking of plus 3.2. This is like going from every week from playing ball state to playing Mississippi state each week. Uh, big step up, Uh, a little different for BYU because you've got, you know, going from independent. So I just couldn't fit them right. into this analysis. Uh, they also, when I wrote this two weeks ago, it looked very, it, it turned out to be very prescient. They signed a new media rights deal in the off season that euthanized the PAC 10. Uh, yeah. That turned out to be very true between the time I inked that and the time that we're actually speaking about it here. 
Um, so speaking of which, you know, just today it was officially announced, I guess, that Colorado is going to join the Big 12, this conference. Um, and before, Nathan, you give us some specifics on Colorado, I have a question, and this is an idea that Robert and I bandied about. I don't know if it's been on, on the pod or just kind of in, in DMs, but there seems to be an opportunity for the Big 12 to grow. Right. What do you think of this idea? They grow, they, they do a different route because they're clearly the number three. And if they pick up Oregon and Washington, which would be awesome. Yeah. I say they go to 20 or 24 and actually split, in, split into two divisions that are promoted and relegated. And basically you have like your top two or your top three in the relegation division and they play the bottom two or bottom three in like a postseason, kind of like a playoff. And that's how you move between relegated and promoted divisions within the new 2018, 22 team, Big 12. How does that strike you? Well, first of all, I like um, international so soccer. I like football in England. I, I'm a Liverpool fan. I used to have a flag, Liverpool flag up, but now I'm doing Big 12 stuff. Um, <laughs> so I really appreciate what relegation means and qualification for playoff. Uh, I think that there's a lot of power there. The thing that is – I don't know how you bring in relegation is that when we're talking about these, these teams, they're really universities and, and mm -hmm. the universities are not going to allow themselves to be quote unquote relegated. Uh, if you watch the, the Colorado border regions meeting, if you haven't watched it, I would recommend watching it. Um, you could hear the passion in the different regions voices when they did their vote to leave the PAC 12, it was pain. And that type of pain, knowing that they have to make this move so that their school can stay, stay relevant, yeah. I think completely eliminates any a possibility of having relegation. That is a good point. I would just wonder, do you, do you think it would be like incredibly creative to media rights to have that have it as like the only conference with this kind of subplot, though, where like your relegated teams could like get a bigger check? It's interesting. Nah. And maybe as I talk it out, maybe it's like a home for like the Wake Forests or like those kind of teams of the world. Right. Where they're kind of already obscure. Maybe that's the play is like to add I, those kind of teams. I, I actually would, would kind of add something on that. I, I, I agree that while Colorado did this move in self, uh, basically self uh, perseverance to basically right. save themselves from irrelevancy in, in the Pac-12. At the same time, there's a difference between going into a conference that has promotion relegation Versus going into a conference that is going to be locked into a horrible media rights deal for a decade or so, right? right. There, is, there is a big difference there, right? Like, okay, we got relegated. Because the thing is, in, 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 in English soccer, right, you get relegated. That's not, that's not good. No one's like, yeah, relegation. But, like, you can come back to, right? Now, right. for some of the smaller cities, okay, you're going up against teams that are bought by the Saudi, Saudi Arabia that are spending hundreds of right. millions of dollars. So you can't really compete against them. But... If there's if you have the boosters, there's no reason why you can't unrelegate yourself, right? Like I think it's not as bad as being like I think the big concern with Colorado and why these teams are looking to make this move now is because they're saying I'm going to get locked in at say twenty million dollars a year, gener maybe even less than that potentially versus thirty million, and that gap is only going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger, right? So we have to make that that initial gap, that gap first gap is so big that we have to we have to do this. I. I think what we need to – and this is just an idea, but I, in my opinion, I think we need to change the paradigm where we're worried about the money. 
The money is a measurement tool. The, the, the universities need the money to survive and keep their athletic programs going. Just so everybody knows, academics matters. The, the, all the research money that we were told about for an entire year that matters, that keeps these universities together, none of that money comes to athletics. Uh, Stanford has a, an athletics program that's bankrupt, has no money. Oh, UCLA was $100 million un, underwater, and they were not stealing money from their yeah. endowments to pay for the athletics. They, they said, come up with the money a different way. So money to me is just a measurement tool. The thing that matters today, and I think is going to matter in the next 50 years, is exposure. Who you have access to in the media. And we all know who who's the biggest feeders right now. It's Fox and ESPN. And then you have the NBCs and CBSs and CWs if you're ACC. They do not... They do not necessarily care about the money as much as it is, I want to make sure my school is on TV. That's why Colorado moved. It wasn't the money. The money was the measurement of whether they were going to be immediately more relevant, but the exposure is what they were talking about. They were they wanted their school to be in front of more people. They wanted their school to be watched in Wake Forest, uh, uh, North Carolina, in, in Vir Virginia Tech. They want those people to be able to watch their schools wherever they're at. If they mm -hmm. would have been on uh, in the Pac-12 with an Apple contract, who's watching those? Only the Pac-12. Nobody else is watching those yeah. games. Literally, I'm a huge fan, and I have like the premium package for my cable. And right, I wouldn't get Apple Plus, and that's sad. I don't think they get the only that, people so. that would is if you're a graduate of one of those schools. You're, yeah. If you're Joe Blow in Michigan, yeah. are you going to turn from a game that you have to go get a separate subscription? It's a different interface, a completely different login. You, it takes you away from your regular ca cable connection. And exactly. you're going to go, oh, by the way, I'm going to tune into Washington, Oregon. Instead of just flipping the channel, being lazy and saying, I'm going to watch a good Boise State. Fresno State yeah. game. It's yeah. probably going to be more competitive anyway. Yeah. And yep. it's on Fox. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. This It's not the money. I think everybody needs to quit talking about money. So to that point, I guess then, um, does Colorado's departure, is that just like, did they get just tired of waiting? Does it mean that there is no deal? Or does it mean that there is an imminent deal and it's just garbage? What, what do you think it means? There's no deal. No deal. <laughs> Anybody who says there's a deal is lying. They have nothing. They had nothing to show Colorado last Thursday. Colorado put them on point. That anybody who thinks that this Colorado leaving was some long or short story, it's ridiculous. They've been planning this for months. Brett Yormark has been talking to them almost daily. They went in third. <laughs> what was it? It was on Tuesday. They laid down the law, and their was it their athletic director or, or president came out and said, "We're going to see media media numbers on Thursday." Put it out on Twitter, social media. They said, we're going to see him. Did they have him to see? No. The purpose of that exercise was he told everybody long ago that they weren't going to leave until they saw a media deal. Him standing up on Thursday and saying, I'm here. Show me a media deal. I've been waiting an entire year. And they didn't I, – I don't even think they had a meeting. If they did, it was, hey, how you doing, man? Oh, good. See you tomorrow. There was nothing to show. So then the mm -hmm. next day, he, he's there in media days for five minutes runs out, catches a plane to Bay, probably Vegas, and, and, and then – or maybe they were already in Vegas. Maybe they it wasn't Vegas, even a yeah, plane. He, he was going to go yeah. to roulette tables over at the MGM. 
and, and, and he left. And Monday, your mark gets back Sunday night. Monday, they have conversations. Tuesday, rumblings. Wednesday, meeting. Thursday, gone. It's just that quick. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Robert? I, I kind of – what are your thoughts? I mean, the thing is, there, there's a. I mean, I think, yeah, this has been a long-running thing. There have been rumors about Colorado leaving. There's been rumors about a lot of schools leaving, and I think those rumors don't exist unless some people are are legitimately talking about this. Um, I think the other part of this that that's kind of interesting and substantially under discussed is that a lot of this is determined by the media deals themselves, right? Or in this case, the lack thereof, right? I think you have, and I, I, I again. I hope there's some department somewhere that can investigate this, but you very clearly have uh, Fox and uh, Fox, NBC, and and a- and basically ABC slash ESPN saying, "Okay, we're going to pay the Big Ten, we're going to pay the SEC, and then we're going to pay the Big 12. and then it just seems like that's just completely dried up. And then they're like, "Yeah, we're done now." And the thing is, it was fine to pay five plus conferences before for media stuff. But now all of a sudden it's like, ah, you know what? Uh, maybe not. Maybe we're only going to pay three conferences now or we're right. going to pay substantially less. And now the thing is, again, there's a lot of things in the economy. Interest rates have increased substantially since a lot of these – basically since right. the, um, the Big Ten and SEC deals, they have increased substantially. They're seeing some revenue drop in some of these places. So it's possible yep. that they're just naturally like we're not, we're not paying for lower tier football. But there, right. are, there are some serious questions about – why all of a sudden now it's like we're only going to pay for three leagues. We're not going to give you the money to have five competitive leagues in terms of the money level. And well, let's again, remember – sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say let's remember the Pac-12 had a chance to take the exact same deal that the Big 12 took in September and turned it down in, in August. Mm-hmm. So if that was the case, if it was just money and exposure, that was Fox and ESPN, they would have taken it immediately. But it wasn't, was it? It was all about ego. For the Pac-12, this has been about ego from the jump. Well, the thing and is, if everything take, else – what? Yeah, if you take the exact same deal as the Big 12, you say we're equal to the Big 12, and I think that's the problem. But yep. it, but is it a problem? Because they're still alive. Just, you see what I'm saying? It doesn't really matter. It was matter. a problem. No, it it, it you, doesn't yeah. really matter. No, I'm agreeing with you. What I'm saying yeah. is if they had taken the deal – Big 12 wasn't even up for negotiation for another year. They weren't even supposed to be in the in the pool with them. But when the Brett Yormark saw the opportunity when they didn't give it or take it at the Pac-12, he scooped it up when they said, "Hey, we'll give you the same thing." He yeah. saw the train coming. The Pac-12 <clears throat> didn't. They didn't read the room. And and so Robert, this is the thing is the consolidation is happening. You already said it. Consolidation is coming and we're probably going to be at three conferences in three years by 2026 you're going to be sitting on three conferences of 20 to 24 teams wow I'm, interesting 2026 that means that means you're you're basically penciling in then breaking the acc grant of rights deal by then i i think a grant of rights deal with the acc may be broken in a week awesome well, a week wow. wow all right like i, I have do, yeah i have smoke that says florida state wants none of this they see the writing on the wall with Colorado, and one of these middling schools, like a Louisville, sees they have an escape clause and a, and jump to the Big 12. They're not going to get an, an invite to the SEC and the, and the Big. They don't want to be Arizona State or Utah. They do mm-hmm. not want to be left waiting at the altar. Yeah. They're going to get proactive. 
Florida State's going to say, hey, we need eight. All we need is eight. Eight people. Let's get together. We'll, and if everybody wants out, the thing's done. The ACC no longer exists. Well, this is actually I, something we theorized on our podcast, right? Yeah. We said eight teams will get slipped invites, and then that's it. We're done. And it will be some some will some will get SEC invites, some will get Big Ten invites, yeah. and then if the Pac twelve, if the Big Ten, if the Big Twelve comes in, slips the last couple of them invites, and that's it. We're done. And then whoever doesn't get an invite is left on the cold, like Boston it College. Could happen tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I, credit to Nathan, though. I didn't really kind of think that much about like a team, you know, right in that kind of middle class like Louisville, just yeah. looking at it like musical chairs. I kind of looked exactly. at it as like the big team. So that's a really good point. Hey, um, I'm just guessing, wild guess, not going to stereotype. Uh, I'm guessing since you went to BYU, you're you're not really into the heroin scene, but this is going to, this <laughs> might be what heroin feels like when okay. I deliver this to you. The reason that the Pac 12 looked with disdain on the big 12 and said, we can do better is really the same mindset when they said BYU to our conference, it's not going to happen. Oh, yeah. It's the same mindset. You're welcome. Um, and just to wrap this up a couple questions, why three conferences, Robert, I think that there's more rationing of dollars because streaming has not become profitable and they're realizing that they have to be more wise with their dollars. Yep. which actually speaks to how poorly the Pac-12 has been run because they do have a unique monopoly over After Dark and they completely botched it and they said, we don't want to be that. It's great. You can run into a sea of irrelevance when you could have had a very specific identity that everybody wanted and now you've just kind of undone yourself. Um, before we move on, <laughs> anything else on Colorado to the Big 12 or are we kind of beating that to death here? Oh, I don't care. It's your show. I'll follow Big you guys. <laughs> Big, 12 after, Big 12 after dark very soon now. There you go. It's going to be a thing. Yeah. Hey, BYU is going to own it, right? BYU wins night games. I don't know how well you follow BYU's record in the last 10 years. When they play night games, Baylor last year is a good example. They had a horrible defense last year, BYU did, and they beat a very good Baylor team and, and beat them pretty good at, at Provo when it was a night game. So well, BYU's it, not afraid of night games. And, and and this is the thing, right? Like I'm now that you mentioned that, I, I'm thinking about it, and like I think Baylor BYU was like the best Pac-12 after dark game in terms of like elite teams. Like it was. they did not like again. This is not like this is the West Coast where like I'm on the East Coast here. I'm in I'm in basically Toronto, Canada, just slightly outside of Buffalo. Oh, but yeah, okay. I'm just, basically, I'm just across the border from Buffalo in that, near Niagara Falls. But basically. Yeah, sure. It's late for me. It's. I mean, I'm a night owl, so it doesn't matter to me. But like, okay, yeah, sure. The East Coast isn't going to watch that West Coast game. But guess what? There's like, I don't know, millions. How many millions of people are there? Like, 50 million people on the West Coast that would love to see a game at seven, like at at ten, a ten, a 10 p.m. start, ten ten thirty start. They'd love right. to see a game start at seven o'clock their time, right? Yep. Yes. Like, why not have Oregon, Washington, seven thirty? Eat West Coast kick. Go ahead, right? There is no reason for that, right? Where we're like, we're stuck with like, oh, it's gonna be like Oregon State versus like I don't even know, like it's random teams, right? Like, and again, if the if the Big Twelve is gonna come in here and do this, yeah, let's see some um, elite. Like, cause this is the thing, right? Because the the eight thirty time slot is owned by like ABC. They put a really good game there. You know what? That's fine. Mm -hmm. Second that game ends, let's throw up a really good West Coast game there. Let's compete with ABC. Let's get them to go right from ABC straight to us, right? And that's what they should be doing. And that's what the Pac-12 should have been doing. They fumbled that and maybe the Big 12 mm -hmm. can can clean that up. 
well, and now yeah. NBC's going to do it with USC and UCLA. Yep. They're going to yeah. they're going to put it they're going to put it on Peacock or they're going to put it on the seven o'clock prime game, and it's going to be massive numbers. Yeah, and you're going to no. see the difference from a conference yep. that knows how to do knows what they're doing versus what yep. the Pac-12 has squandered in the last 12 years. You're going yeah. it'll be more stark than you've ever seen before in this yep. coming season or the yep. next US, season, I guess. USC is going to become synonymous with NBC because yes. they're going to be have the home games with that broadcast and then total cross promotion with Notre Dame and oh my gosh, they're going to just it's going to become sickening if you're not a fan of one of those schools. It's going to that be too much. That is 100% accurate. Yep. <laughs> they have Monopoly on the West Coast, and they blew it. Yep. They did. Good job don't, there, don't Scott. Don't put it out of reason, though, that, that if big <clears throat> the big isn't ready to expand, and BY, or sorry, and you, Washington and Oregon stay, the, Brett Yormark's going to scoop them up. They've oh, already absolutely. talked today. Yep. And, yep. and now imagine BYU-Washington yeah. on, the, on the beach at 730 Pacific. That is a You're going to draw. That's a four yep. million, five million dollar, five million viewer game if it's anything. You could yep. easily go to six or seven million. It's insane the numbers that the Pac-12 squandered, and that's what it is. They wasted it. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. uh, Larry Scott got five million dollars a year to ruin everything. I know it's okay. a joke. <laughs> Before we get to um, our team uh, previews, just a little primer on the metrics that I refer to. Three that I refer to. Apex, adjusted passing efficiency versus expectations. The average is 100 for all FBS quarterbacks. If you're above like 110, pretty good. If you're below 90, no bueno. Uh, second metric, GGAB, GGAB, ground game against above, pardon me, Boston College. It basically measures for how many times a team ran a ball, how many more yards they got than if it had been Boston College who ran the ball since Boston College ran for 1.96 yards per attempt last season. The worst wow. in all of FBS. Um, my third metric, Ryan, receiving yards above Noob. Um, that basically measures how many yards did a receiver or a team get um, for, based on the number of receptions above basically a, replace, a replacement level receiver or noob. So okay. when I refer to that, that's what I'm talking about. I will start with my most fascinating team from the big 12. And if you've listened to us before, there's only one answer for me and it is Texas. Texas went eight and five last year. I had them with a plus 11.2 power rating, 10th and all of FBS question for you two. Um, and just chime in when you think you have an answer. What do these teams have in common? Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Kansas State, Baylor, and TCU. You're asking me or Robert? It, either of you. It's you know? open questions. So uh, they they all beat Texas last year. I don't know. They've they've <laughs> all won the Big Twelve championship more recently right. than Texas. That's what true. What about yeah. these teams? <laughs> Oklahoma, Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, TCU. What do they have in common? Uh, I really don't know. I'm they have all this. appeared, <laughs> appeared in the Big 12 title game since oh, okay. Texas last did. Uh, right. What these was are Texas? Long lists. Was it 20, 2011? It was, no, no, no. It was, um, they played Oklahoma in, in I think, Ellinger's junior season, I want to say. Oh, it's like 16. I want to say like 19, maybe. Yeah, that would be 19. 19, okay. Oh, it's, been yeah. like, it's, been, it's been a long time since 19, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, well, there's been a lot of movement. So, all 
All right, Sark's third season. Um, their offense, I had them ranked 16th in all of FBS. They lose a great running be- uh, running game. Their top two tailbacks, B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. Um, you know, I think the damage could be mitigated here because their offensive line, actually, I have them projected as the fifth most improved in all of FBS. Sark recruits very well. Um, so I think they'll be good. I think they just might be missing what they get from that elite standpoint. And I think Robert, you're getting a little more of that once I'm done with the soliloquy here. Um, they do have passing game continuity. They are among the leaders of the Ryan that they returned from last season. Um, they were among the very least hurt by departures. So they've got continuity there. Quinn Ewers had an interesting season. Um, overall for the season, his apex was 97. Kind of interesting breaks here. First three games against uh, ULM, Alabama, and Oklahoma, his apex was 150. I think he had an injury in there somewhere, I kind of remember, and then he probably had a sophomore slump. His next five games, his apex is only 68. Um, And then the last two, it went up to 154 against Baylor. You know, Miranda knows what he's doing on defense, then Washington, who had a really bad defense. But Interesting little lull there. The other thing that I look at is, and I don't know if you've gotten to quarterbacks under Sark, you know, personally from a USC standpoint, I remember in Sark's first season, uh, Cody Kessler had an apex of 133. And then the second season, that actually dropped to a 116. Um, it kind of speaks to one of my problems with Sark is that you really don't see a lot of improvement um, from a lot of players after they're kind of like first climb up the ladder from freshman to sophomore season. Um, their defense uh, was actually very much improved last season. They went from a negative 1.7 to a positive 6.3. Good versus, versus both the run and pass. Um, you know, no real regression or improvement projected. The things that are interesting to me, Gary Patterson is no longer an air quotes here analyst there. Right. Um, right. I want to see what that really means. Uh, I also want to see, you know, Kwiatkowski, the, D- the DC, is well thought of. I want to see what he is without Chris Peterson because he was really good under Peterson. Then his offense was just flat out bad at Texas in 21. Then everything gets solved under Patterson. And I want to see him without Peterson or Patterson before I'm really sold on what he does when his boss is Steve Farkasian and there's no kind of, you know, better voice to say, let's try this. Let's try that. Um, I also want to see if the soft basically got beaten out of this defense last season. Was that like a real culture or a paradigm change? Or was it just kind of a one-year culture shift that's going to go back? Uh, Especially with Patterson not around anymore. I don't know how much they can take on the personality of an analyst. Do the air quotes again. It'll be interesting to see. I'm not quite sold. And that's not even why I think this is a fascinating team, although those are some interesting questions. You know, we don't know what the what 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 the defense is gonna be. If I look at this from a horse racing perspective, and I you know, if I hear that Texas is like a Kentucky Derby horse, hey, this is a great horse. He cost millions at auctions, he's got great workouts in the morning, ton of buzz on this horse. And I say, Well, how many stakes is this horse won? Uh, well, he hasn't won any stakes races. Really? Well, what's his been his best finish in the stakes race? Well, he hasn't really run in one yet, meaning he hasn't even won a conference title game. 
Really? Well, what's his record? Well, he's run second once. He's run third three times. He's run fourth once. And he ran seventh in his debut. That's where Sarkis finished in his career <laughs> within his own division or conference. Um, and now this is a this is a, a, a team that's getting buzzed. Is like, oh, they might win. You know, they might get a playoff bid. I don't see the resume when I kind of put it in those horse racing terms. Um, we have just the whole Sark thing. You know, week seven last season. They lost to Oklahoma State 41 to 31, giving up a 14 point lead. And they were called for 14 penalties. Um, that led me to a deeper dive on Sark, where I kind of dug in where they had basically um, four times been favored under Sark. And this is over his career. Four times favored by 14 or more on the road. Across all of FBS, your favorites win 90% of the time. Sark has won two of those four. One of those was the three-point win at Iowa State where they should have lost had it been not for that crazy. I don't know if you remember this game, Nathan. Iowa State had a chance to win, and this receiver just, like, jumped for a ball where he should have just caught it in stride, and they would have won the winning touchdown. I remember that. Um, I didn't see that one. (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's just a Sark special. Just, you know, even when they win, it's just unconvincing. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, they lost to Kansas as a 31-point home favorite. Right. in the that was third actually one of quarter. the greatest games ever of college football, to be honest with you. Yeah. Oh, that was. Um, in the it was third like 52 quarter. 52 to 51 or so. It was some insane it was. high score, too. And the, the yeah. two-point conversion at the end. Yeah. To win the game. That was amazing. God. That yeah. was awesome. Um, in the third quarter of Big 12 road games, Texas has been outscored uh, under Sark by 65 to 37. He's won only one third quarter of those games, too. Uh, which is, and that goes back to, I saw it at USC. Once he had the talent, uh, the talent level up at Washington, he still struggled in those situations. You know, there's going to be immense pressure on Texas to win the big 12 before they move to the SEC. I'm glad he's sober, but I just think he's going to crack over a nine game conference season. Plus whatever you have with Alabama, the total is 9.5. and it just seems with all the buzz that they're getting that the books are almost the books are almost begging you to bet the over, um, and they're getting that action. I can't, I can't play that just because his teams are the are the epitome of poorly coached in that they're not bad, they're alternately good and bad when they shouldn't be. Um, if you're going to play this, going back to horse racing, you have to just play it like a like an angle, just like. Sark's teams are overrated, and I'm going to bet against it because they're just overvalued. One last note. Um, interestingly, Texas gets a road game at Houston as a final farewell. Screw yourself from the Big 12 because they know that's exactly <laughs> what Texas does not want to do. Exactly. So <laughs> end of my thoughts. And then, Robert, you've got some 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 research on Sark as well. Yeah, so I – so again, and I'll say this: we're putting a lot of attention on Texas because, to be fair, it is one of the bigger teams in in the in the Big Twelve. Huge year about to, sure. to do the SEC. None of I think this is probably the most in depth we're going to get for any team. So if you're listening, don't worry. We're, we're not going to do this for every single team here. But yes. no, so I'm already me, overwhelmed. So you yeah. guys just keep going. It's fine. So, so just holler at me when you need me. I am okay. here. So basically. This is, uh, this is actually a pretty deep analysis. We used to do this uh, every week for the for the podcast. Basically, I did like a deeper dive slash rant thing. 
But anyway, we talked about this uh, earlier. We said, and one of the things we said for the bowl game, obviously Texas played Washington in in, in a bowl game. I don't remember what right. the bowl game was, whatever. But we said they might have an issue replacing Bijan Robinson in the game because Bijan Robinson obviously opted out. He was drafted like randomly by the Atlanta Falcons, like eighth or something. But anyways, so we said they might struggle in that game, and they did struggle in the game. To, they weren't able to beat Washington. Washington Washington beat them in the bowl game. So, and we said, you know what? He's also had success in the past with running backs. He had Najee Harris at Alabama as when he was offensive coordinator there at Alabama. You know, maybe he needs a really good running back to be able to, to achieve success in a season. So I decided, I did a leg where I went back to 2001 USC, the first time he had a job. I believe he was quarterback's coach or some sort of offensive assistant. We went through every single year seeing how he's done according to and, and basically how many rushing yards he's had and, and stuff like that. So USC 2001, they went six and six. That was one. I think that was Carson Palmer's first year as starting quarterback. Uh, their first, their, their basically first string running back was Sultan McCullough. 410 yards. I think he only played six games. So he probably got injured. They only had 1146 rushing yards total. Not great. Basically, even just that's a really rough rushing yard total, but a really bad season total. Next year, 11 and two. Carson Palmer again was the quarterback, but Sultan McCullough he was he basically doubled his rushing production, 814. Um, he was there for the full season this year, and then he had, they had 1800 yards. So that's a lot better. But again, look, that's a lot better rushing yard total as well. Next year, 2003 USC, 12 and one. Matt Liner, QB. Reggie Bush, that was his first year at USC. He had 520 run rushing yards only. Was not the leading rusher on the team. There are other leading rushers, but they had 2,026 rushing yards in that year. Next, so then he randomly was the offense. He was randomly like a quarterbacks coach for the Raiders the next year. Yeah. They went five and eleven, but they and apparently they threw for like. Um, 4,000 passing yards or something. They It was a rough year for them. People are like, oh, because if you go back on his Wikipedia, it says like, oh, he was exalted because they threw for like 4,000 passing yards. But like, how much of that was garbage time, right? If they were 5 and 11, if they're losing by 20, the other team could be like, sure, whatever. You can get a 40-yard completion. That's fine. On rushing, which wasn't his jurisdiction, because of course he was quarterback's coach, they only had 1,295 yards, which is probably more of a indictment of the Raiders than him, but whatever. Anyways, Next year, back at USC, I think he was a, he was he was on offense here. I'm not sure if he was coordinator this year or not. Um, he was. But that 2005 USC 12 and one. This is Reggie Bush's Heisman season, and he alone had 1740 yards. So I don't need to say that's the team total. We know what's happening there. Next year, 2006 USC 11 and two, 1600 rushing yards. So again, we're seeing there's a bit of a line here. If it's if it's basically above 1500, they're doing better. If it's lower than that. Next year, he was the offensive coordinator at USC, 2007, 11 and 2, 2,500 rushing yards. So that takes a huge spike when he's offensive coordinator. 2008, USC, 12 and 1, 2,500 yards, basically the same. I think one less yard, which is whatever. Rounding error, but sure. Again, 12 and 1. Now, he then gets to be the head coach of Washington. 7 and 6 in 2010, only 2,200 rushing yards. Then 2011, Washington, 2,000 rushing yards. Again, 7 and 6. So again, we're looking at okay but not great rushing seasons 2012 washington again seven and six 18 1846 so again basically not above 2000 but we're seeming to need that that 2000 mark now to be able to, to have a good season now 2013 usc 10 and 4 2200 so again pretty good season over 2000 2014 usc 9 and 4 2000 that was pretty good 2006 Alabama, 14 and 1, 3,100 rushing yards. That was with Jalen Hurts and Damian Harris. 
massive yeah. rushing yardage there. And then 2017 Atlanta, I think he was the offensive coordinator for them. They only had 1,800 rushing yards, which isn't horrible for an NFL season, but they were 10 and 6. They did get more points, but again, 10 and 6 isn't great. They didn't even make the playoffs in, in that year. 2018 Alabama, 14 and 1, 2,500, but then they had Damian Harris, Joshua Jacobs, and Najee Harris. Those are three NFL running backs. Um, 2019 Alabama, I believe this was, yeah, this was, and Najee Harris was still there, 2,100. But again, 11 2, that's kind of an underperformance for Alabama. 2020 Alabama, 13 and 0, 2,400 rushing yards. And then Texas down to 25 in, in 2021, and then 2,400 in, in 2022 with 8 and 5. Now, the thing is, again, you're saying, okay, well, they had 2,000 over 2,000 the last two years. They're fine. Well, guess what? They just lost their number one and number two rushing yards. They, they lost mm-hmm. Bijan to the NFL, and they also lost Roshan Johnson to the NFL. So if rushing, and as we've seen here, as he's been offensive coordinator and even head coach in the past, when their rushing yardage drops, they get to fi- they go to 500. The, the, the more that drops down below 2,000, they start hitting 500. And again, they're not even that much better than 500 right now. They're 8-5. and five. And yep. they're still getting over 2,000 rushing yards. So if they cannot run the ball, they're in trouble. And again, now, obviously, there's a lot of running backs. I'm sure that the, the ones they recruited are good. But are they Bijan Robinson good? Like, he's literally had NFL rushing running backs in a lot of these years. He had Reggie Bush, Jalen Hurts, Damian Harris, Joshua Jacobs, Najee Harris. These are some of the most elite runners in the NFL. And he's still not – and basically – they had a good couple of good years at USC. Thought was under Pete Carroll on for head coach. But again, we're and again, even when he's when he's head coach and when he's offensive coordinator, you could definitely see that their rushing yards spike. But we're still not seeing, like, I'm just we're not loving this year. And again, if rushing yardage is a dip, we could see this team hit 500. And one of the things we're seeing for this team, one more thing I'll add is that people were like, oh, last year they almost beat Alabama. Alabama wasn't really that good last year. Texas A&M almost beat Alabama last year. Uh, Ole Miss almost beat Alabama last year. Arkansas almost beat out. Like a lot of teams almost beat Alabama last year to say that. Oh, okay. Well, they almost, if he, if he had an injured his shoulder, they would have beaten Alabama. Well, they weren't that good last year. And, and, and this is the thing. I think that there is a huge downside risk to this. I think, I mean, right now I'm looking at the line here. Um, Yeah. Texas, uh, the, 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 Win total, Texas, over 9.5. It's juiced to the over. Mm-hmm. On Bet365, I got minus 125. Under 9.5 is plus 100, so the, the under is juiced. So basically, they're. I, I kind of think that's basically to say we're go bet the under. Like, the, the under is juiced. So they're saying they, they're they they're welcoming under bets, which I think is makes sense because a lot of people are juicing it to the over because Texas is plus 110 to win the conference. That is insanity. No. I mean, one, one of the things was that? Said, what was that? What was plus it? Plus 110 to win the conference. Stop. Okay, that's nuts. That's, that's ridiculous. That's insane. That is an yeah. insane number. And we said that last year, too. Remember, we had on the, on the podcast, one point yeah. in the season, we were like, oh, what do we put Texas to win the conference? And you're like, ah, 5-1, to 6-1. to one. It was like 2-1. to one. We're like, wow, okay. Yeah. This is the thing. This team is massively overhyped. The, the loss of the – like, okay, yeah, they keep um, Quinn Ewers. That's good. Very positive that they kept that. Um, but like the loss of their running backs could be is he relies on them a lot. And when he's not able to generate a lot of offense with those running backs, he gets in trouble. And I think this could be a, he gets in trouble. And the thing is, again, at the end of this year, if it's not good, and again, we're just talking about this year, it could be good or not good. But if it's not good, a bunch of people in Texas are going to be sitting down and being like, Hey, do we really want this guy leading us in our first year in the sec? And I think, I think Steve Sarkeesian is going to be a very kind of under, at least at this point, an under the radar uh, hot seat candidate for for coaching. 
then I'll pass it off to, to you, Nathan, there. What do you, what do you kind of think about those arguments? <laughs> don't, don't feel obligated to talk for 10 minutes like we did. I, yeah. I, think, I, I think I clicked the wrong link. Am I in the right room? <laughs> no, it's okay. Because you guys, I'm serious. The stuff you're doing is so over my head. You, you asked me to review a, a few schools. I've got like three minutes, three seconds, right? I got nothing. And you guys are just burying in data. No. Texas has no. a special place in our heart, though. That's the I can yeah, tell. Have, there's, yeah. There's pent-up emotion when it comes to Sark. Yeah. Wow, that's that's kind of crazy. Okay. So these are my things about Sarkeesian. He is the best offensive coordinator in the country. He's not the best head coach. And um, everybody saw him lose his cool in the tunnel last year when, when he yelled at that guy simply trying to keep his team back from running on the field early. I forgot about that. Yeah. He, he, had the, he had the drinking issues at USC. My point is, and by the way, anybody who doesn't know, I'm wearing blue right here. I'm a, I'm a Sarkeesian fan. I have followed his entire career. I have wanted him to succeed everywhere he goes. I just don't think being the head coach is his role. So, yep. if he doesn't win ten games, I think he gets fired. Wow! If you're wow. asking me, and, very high. And I there. think nine and three isn't going to win the conference. So, if, if I was betting, and I don't bet, I bet other things, but I don't bet sports. I would bet the under on Texas, because by midseason, Arch Manning is going to be agitating to be the coach if they're not undefeated six and zero. Arch Manning wants to run that. He, if it's Is not he him, it's, it's, it's going to be Peyton or Eli wanting to be on the sidelines calling plays because there, there's no way he sits behind Clint Ewer, or Ewers the entire league. I mean, sorry, the entire year yeah. if um, if they're not winning games. If they lose three of their first nine games, I think they change quarterbacks. That's a that's a very under discussed point in this too, right? I mean, you've got the Mannings, you've got Archie Manning sitting there on the bench, and the, the Mannings have obviously been very involved in his recruitment already. At yeah. what point do they say, like, here's the thing? Now, obviously, I mean, they probably watched some Texas games, probably not every Texas game, but some Texas games. How they're going to be now watching every game going over with a fine tooth comb, and they're like, this was a bad thing. He shouldn't have done this. He shouldn't have done this play. I mean, they literally, when you if you watch the Manning cast on Monday Night Football, they literally right. pick apart NFL coaches, and they're like, they shouldn't have done this. Why are they doing this? This is dumb. They they literally <laughs> do that for NFL head coaches on national TV. You think they're not if they're not watching uh, a Texas game, they're not be like, what's this accusing guy doing? This should, he shouldn't have done this. You guys uh, have heard the saying, "Mo money, mo problems." Right? Yeah. The problem with being Texas, Michigan. Ohio State, uh, USC, being the front runners, being the true blue bloods, which there's only about 12. If you're in that level, nothing you do can be a little bit. Everything has to be a lot. And so they don't make small problems. They make big problems. So if it doesn't go fantastic, just like at Texas A&M, somebody's going to write a check and they're going to send both coaches packing. Now, I'm just are, are, telling you that right now. Texas A&M, uh, really? if he doesn't qualify, at least get close to the SEC championship game, they're going to buy him out, and he's going to be fishing in Florida ne- next year. And 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 all is uh, as long as Alabama is still around, Sarkeesian will have a job because he'll just go back there. <laughs> but if they don't win ten games, both of them. If they don't win ten games, I think both coaches get run. You think that uh, he doesn't have the solid backing of the 72 people that each think they're the athletic director at Texas? Right. That's the problem, isn't it? 
that's totally the problem. Is. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the problem. Stability and, 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 is, is not a thing that goes I'm there. I'm a yeah. keep it simple, stupid person. I am really kind of dumb. And if it's not simple, it is stupid. So it, it, I'm telling you right now that it, it, people think all problems are real complex. They're not. They're very, very small and very simple. People who try to make things more complex are lying to you. They are doing something to get over on you. And college football is not tough. You guys do the betting stuff. I don't do that. But common sense says a lot of these things, these high expectations, come home to roost. And unfortunately, Steve Sarkeesian's in that spot. I don't know why he keeps wanting these lead jobs. I really don't. He is not built to be a head coach. He is the best offensive coordinator. It was a baffling yeah. hire. Yeah. Did you have anything I, I else, think, Robert, before we – Yeah, I, I think some people need to like – you can be a really good offensive coordinator. That's fine. Yeah. Like right. you don't need to be a head coach. You can be the right. best offensive coordinator, right? Like this is the thing. It's not everybody can be an NFL coach. I wouldn't be a good NFL head coach, right? There is, there's a lot of things that I do really well and there's some things that like even in, in, in my job, right? Like there's – I mean I, I work for a polling firm. And uh, I do opinion research and do polling. There's a lot of things in that job that I'm really good at. But there's some other things for other people that work in the company. I'd be like, I'd be really bad at that. And I don't need to do that. I could do my right. thing and be really, really good at my thing. And mm-hmm. I don't need to, to do that, right? And I think that I, I think in football, there's the prestige of I'm a head coach. I won a national right. championship. I mean, he's got a couple national championships. He's won them as offensive coordinators. It's not like right. – I mean, he gets a ring too. He gets a ring just like Nick Saban does, right? It's yep. not – you don't have to be the head coach. If you're the best offensive coordinator, then go ahead, be the best offensive coordinator for somebody. But you don't have to go and be because, like Alabama, we're now going to drag Alabama into this, even though we're not previewing the SEC. But like they've been kind of floundering since he's been gone, right? Like those right. Najee Harris season, mm-hmm. like you had Najee yeah. Harris, Jalen Waddle, and um, and and Mac Jones. I mean, two of those are really good NFL players. Mac Jones, a little iffy at this point, but not bad. But like. You had amazing out. You got amazing output out of those guys. They, that was were some of the best teams we've seen. And the fact is now that those are gone. Alabama has really struggled the last couple of years, and I think right. that it, they they missed that. I think they they much much rather have uh they'd much rather have Carsizian back than whoever they hired. Like Bill O'Brien was not good, and yeah, no. right, right. Yeah, you're gonna have Urban Meyer at Texas A&M next fall if they don't oh my win God. ten games. I love yeah, it. You know, I, can, have, I can see that. <laughs> And then, and then, I'm not sure who the coach is going to be at Texas, but it's going to be a big name. It has to be flashy, and uh, yeah, Sarkeesian will find himself back in uh, Tuscaloosa. The, the the battle for Urban Meyer between Texas and Texas A&M. Oh my that God. actually is a that's a good point. <laughs> it could be, be awesome. Texas. Mm-hmm. It could be Texas. The Urban. He's going to go to one of them. He can't sit on the sidelines. He doesn't have it. He's not built that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. Next up, so who goes? Who goes next after that? Uh, yeah, that stuff. was that was cathartic. I appreciate okay. your, your your therapy services. You there. didn't warn right. me that I was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Nobody can be warned for that. There's just no way to be justice. just light and fun and last like 15 yeah. minutes, guys. Come on. No, this is it'll be no more normal now. So all, all right, right, Robert. Okay. TCU. Yeah. TCU. So yeah, I'll, I have TCU as my most interesting team. Um, I I actually do have them as, as stairs down. I think last year they had this mystical, magical season. There was a lot of close games they won. And I think that some people looking back on it now, they're kind of like, oh, well, they got blown out in the national championship game. And I don't think that's a fair assessment of it. I think you play that national championship game out 10 times. They don't all end at 52 nothing or whatever it was. I think they a, a lot of bad things happened, and they just couldn't 
close the deal in the national championship game. But there's a lot of other games on their on their season they should have lost. Um, I I mean, obviously they lost the Big Twelve championship game. Uh, they they almost lost against Baylor. Uh, they had a lot of close calls last season. So I think this is a prime regression candidate. They do lose Max Dugan, but they do have Chandler Morris. So that's that's good. That's, that's a good replacement for Max Dugan. But you also lose um, your running back. Uh, they, they, the running backs in the NFL now. Also, you lose uh, Quentin Johnson. He's now in the NFL as well. That's a lot of offensive pieces to replace, especially when you got really, really lucky last year. Uh, I think this could be a little. Uh, I think this could be a, a regret. This is a prime regression candidate. And I, I think one more thing I'll say is that my theme kind of for the Big 12 is like a lot of teams that have flaws. I think there's like a couple of really good teams and then there's just kind of mushy middle. And I think TCU last year was one of the top teams of the conference. I think now they, they're going to fall back into this kind of mushy middle. Yeah, I agree. What, what do you I, think, I, Nathan? I think, I think the Big 12 for the next several years, any any team any year could be the breakout. That's what that's what makes yeah. it so compelling. There's not one school that is currently in the Big 12 that couldn't win the Big 12 on a particular year if they get a if they get a sort of magical run like TCU did. So I think yeah, I agree with you. TCU had a great great run. Um, I think they're probably an eight to nine win team. And um, it, if there's the the regression isn't going to be fantastic regression though. They did lose some some players to the NFL, but man. You know, that team's still built to run. They're faster than crap. They can play defense and tackle, and you're always going to be in games. So, yeah, I, I think I, I think I said on my podcast, it was like, not podcast, show, it was like eight to nine wins. So, what's we'll see. I, I see a little more regression than you, and here's why. Just starting out, I had their overall power rating as a plus 1.1. Which ranked them 62nd in FBS and okay. is way below everybody else. I mean, you know, I had like Ohio State, Michigan, um, and, and Georgia like as the top three, so it's not like my numbers were way off. They lose most of their 2022 Ryan, so they're kind of starting off at receiver. Um, what I do like is Kendall Bryles is in a coach Chandler Morris. Morris actually beat out Max Dugan for the starting job at the beginning of the last season. Yeah. So there's some pieces there on offense, but. You know, they just, they had, as Robert said, this kind of the magical season. I actually showed them with 2.7 games of good luck last season, which is second in all of FBS, meaning wow. if I kind of do a post-game win expectancy, they should have basically lost 2.7 more games. Okay. Um, K Ford, Kemp, that I always reference here, he actually shows them regressing by 4.1 wins. I think a That's huge a step back, that is, you know. That's a um, lot. And the total is 7.5 in Vegas, so right around your eight wins. I think the huge step is inevitable, but at the same time, I really like Sonny Dykes as head coach. He's yeah. won everywhere that he's coached except for Cal because Cal hates football. Um, <laughs> they do. It's Dykes. True. You have Dykes, Browse, and Morris. I'm going to say something that's a little weird. I don't think they're going to win all their games. I don't think they'll beat everybody on their schedule, but I literally think they can beat anyone on their schedule. So yes. that's what I think makes them an interesting team. And when you get that far, there's going to be some some of that kind of pedigree about we know how to win games that we, we shouldn't. Um, right. So it'll be interesting to watch from that standpoint. You know, a lot to watch here, but I think that there's going to be a step backwards. All right, Nathan, BYU, yeah. your team. All right. 
So let's let me let me bring up my notes here. So first of all, you gotta have hope if you're a BYU Cougar fan. <laughs> okay. So uh, BYU's been playing top-notch football for a while. Uh, we know how to travel. Um, the team is built to run, and uh, really all we've needed is sort of access to P5 players, and, and that's coming. We're not there yet. Nobody, no BYU fan would claim that they're gonna we're gonna win it all this year, right? But I think there I've seen some five and a half to six uh, wins. I think that's ridiculous, guys. Look, two years ago they won the Pac-12. They beat six Pac-12 teams. Everybody that stood in front of them, they whomped. They 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 took USC out to the woodshed. Okay, we're only a couple years removed from that, and there's a lot of players still on the team. Uh, there's a lot of longevity. There's a lot of experience. And then BYU, I think, is in the top 15 of all um, transfer class uh, uh, people. So we brought in a bunch of people, uh, Keaton Slovis, Aiden Robbins. Um, uh, those are great offensive players. And then the biggest change on BYU's team is the defense. Jay Hill comes in, and he brings in a defense that's actually aggressive, doesn't drop eight on second and four. And um, knows how to play. Knows, that's not a joke. That, I was going to say, there was some emotion behind that remark, I could tell. It, it, it was so bad, guys. I mean, last year was an aberration. Don't take that to the book at all. The defense had given up because they had no scheme. And um, this year is going to be completely different. Uh, I, I have BYU win in eight games. And the over/under on whether that could be plus-minus is only one, so I don't see him. I, I, if I if I was in Vegas and I was at six, I would take the over on that. Let me give you just some some thoughts, and I'll, I'll start with the defense because I love this one. I've got a, a big fan, and I can kind of see if the eyes match what my numbers say. I, okay. I, my numbers say that their biggest struggle on defense was actually versus the pass; that they were okay versus the run, but that the pass defense was a problem. Is that fair to say? Well, you gotta again. You don't have a scheme. They didn't. They didn't. They weren't three four. They weren't four 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 three. They weren't three three five. They had no. There was no scheme to fall back on. So when you would get into these positions, all I'm saying is last year was an aberration. Last three years defense was terrible. So uh, the numbers are going to be skewed. Uh, and the reason that you were getting open is because you had five players out in the field and they couldn't cover. So the, the passing stats, running stats, they didn't need to run when they could just throw the ball over the top. So BYU is the one of the new four. BYU is the one that it, it could be an outlier just because the, the pedigree is a little bit different. We've been playing P5 uh, schools a lot longer, and uh, we have the history of how to beat them. So I, I'm not going to disagree with your stats. I think your stats are going to be spot on. i just telling you I think they were skewed. They, yeah, very fair. And to your point, that's what's interesting. You know, two years ago, they faced actually seven power five teams. Yeah. Uh, last year, they faced five. So I think there's less of a culture shock in going into right. the Big 12. The other side of that, though, is, you know, <clears throat> you would appreciate this better than me. The schedule for BYU tends to be front loaded because that's when you can get the better games. And it's really hard to get a power five opponent in the in the month of November. Yeah. Except for the random kind of team that sticks out of the very end from the Pac-12 because of the Notre Dame, Stanford, USC right. love triangle. Right. I'm wondering how that's going to play because I think it's going to be a little different playing in a Power 5 conference those last nine games of the season. I just – I want to see how that goes because, 
you almost had like a little bit of an SEC where you had tough game, tough game, and then you would have like a random, really like FCS team that even I hadn't heard of. Right, know, just because right. that's that's all you could get. It's not your fault. It's just, I mean, yeah. I know you guys were digging for. If 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 it was up to you all, you would have five, twelve power five opponents. Just yeah, just, we would have, we would have played ten if we could have. Yeah. yeah, it, it was yeah. just we couldn't get the games. You're, you're exactly right. Scheduling was poor. It was hard to get a read because one minute you're playing Utah State, the next minute you're playing Baylor. I mean, we just yeah. it was really and it's always been wrong. The two things that are that are changes and good for BYU <clears throat> now, though, even though we're playing 10 P12 or P5 uh, schools this year, Arkansas is our out of conference P5 wow. in in Fayetteville. Uh, uh, that's going to be a fantastic game. They smoked BYU last year, ran all over and put like 63 on them. It was one of the worst blowouts I've ever seen a, a BYU team sustain. LSU was the other one. And that was that was really the benchmark. That's when we knew the, the defense was broken. So you look at them this year, the, they beat off with two. Uh, Sam Houston State is one of them. I'll just, mm-hmm. and, and Southern Utah is the other. Those are absolutely warm-up games, just like the SEC does. That, yeah. We haven't been able to do that in in decades. Yeah. The second thing is we finally have a buy. We have a a buy game in the a buy week in the middle of the season. BYU hasn't had a buy week in the middle of the season again for like 20 years. So those two changes, I think, will actually benefit BYU. Plus, we we have a very tough schedule. It's very hard, but we get Oklahoma at home in November. And oh, nice. we're going to have Taysom Hill run out the flag in Austin against Texas. So those are two wins. Those are two wins. Okay, I like your confidence. <laughs> well, Taysom, Taysom Hill's in the house. So if he's in the okay. house, BYU smokes, smokes Texas. Okay. I won't try to argue with that. That's Robert. an inside joke. Look it up if you don't get my inside <laughs> reference. I, I mean, BYU humors are beyond me. Here's the thing. Texas is late October. If things have fallen apart by then, yeah, Texas uh, – BYU can be Texas, right? If this is like – that could be the Steve Sarkeesian's fired game. So it, it, Actually, that is a good point. It could yeah. be. No, I, I, I do agree with BYU. Um, this is going to be a, a down year. This is stairs down. Slovis is okay. He wasn't bad at, at, at Pitt. He was definitely not the problem at Pitt, but he wasn't – I just felt like he wasn't elevating the team. I feel like he was okay. He was a good bridge quarterback, and I wanted, I wanted, like in terms of Pitt, I wanted Pitt to do something more to elevate their school, and they just didn't do that. So right. now we're, and I think Slovis is a good, another good step quarterback. I think because uh, the one you had coming up, I think he 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 wasn't really that good last year. I think in in, in a couple of relief appearances. So I think I think you got you need a bit of a transition year for that. Um, again, I don't think they're one of the top teams in the Big 12, but again, and it's, I'm probably going to say this for every single preview, that mushy middle, right? That mushy middle, you're going to be able to get wins against a lot of those teams in the mushy middle, right? And again, yep. BYU is, is a team that is a good coach. I, I really do like the coach at BYU. I think he could – I'm surprised he's not a candidate for head coaching position in, in some other hires at, at some point as well. Don't say but, that. Do yeah, not say that. <laughs> Uh, Kalani Sataki has to stay in Provo. Okay. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, don't, I'm don't, do, yeah, don't say that. But this is the thing. He's going to be – There are good, there's going to be like random times when like BYU is probably going to lose a couple <clears> games and then they're going to be like seven-and-a-half-point dogs to some team. I'm going to be like, oh, I'm all over that. And that's exactly yeah. what I see BYU as this team. It's a, it's a team that 
and and the, my model's going to like them in some matchups against depending on how good their running defense is and, and rushing attack is. Right. There's going to be a couple of like, and that that's the one thing I love about the model the most is that it's able to figure out those matchups and it's like, oh, this team is actually like if BYU has a good rushing attack and it's going up against a team that has a bad rushing defense, a lot of the times the the sports books don't have like. Or that line will be mysteriously short. Like people will be like, "Oh, BYU seven and a half point dogs. Why aren't they ten and a half dogs?" And I'm like, "Yeah, no, because BYU is going to win this game." And then I take BYU and then I win that bet. So that's that's how it goes. So I think BYU is going to be that team I pick for that a lot this year. Interesting. Very good. Yeah. All right, I will go next. Uh, Kansas six and seven last season. I have them as an elevator up team. Yeah. Uh, it's it's technically their third season under Lance Leipold, although it's really season 2.5 since he didn't even get a first spring practice with this team. Um, you know, offensively, they had them seventh in all of FBS. Jalen Daniels is the top returning quarterback in the pack or in the Big 12, sixth in all of FBS. His apex was 136. Um, they have probably the, the best backup quarterback in the nation in Jason Bean. He's actually had an apex of 144. And he played a lot. This wasn't just like over 10 passing attempts. He had 136 attempts last year when Daniels was hurt. Um, They're also ninth in FBS and returning Ryan. They lost zero to the portal, which I think is a sign of a great culture. I really believe in Lance Leopold. If you listen to last year's, you know, we're talking about how we really believed in him. We thought they might win like four games. Um, the running game will be pretty good, just like last season. Um, the defense was the weakness of the team last year. They were outside the top 100 against both the pass and the run. Um, but they actually made a big improvement. Um, from 21 to 22, their defensive power rating jumped from a negative 9.8 to a negative 2.9. Um, and I just believe, again, in Leipold, if I look what he did at Buffalo, Going to give you some numbers because everybody loves to hear just numbers on a podcast. Buffalo had a defensive power rating of negative 8.1. Then Leipold arrives. Then here's what his defenses do after that. Negative 4.5, negative 2.4, negative 2.9, plus 1.5, plus 5.7. He had a ridiculous record at Wisconsin Whitewater, I think it is. Um, he knows how to put together a winning program. He inherited a garbage defense, and it's going to take a little more time, but the, the improvement's going to be there. Um, they were actually an unlucky team last season. Um, I think that Lance Leifold, I'm going to say he's the best head coach in the Big 12. Uh, I have it right here. 109-6 and six at Wisconsin Whitewater. <laughs> six national titles in eight seasons there. Two division right. titles. Uh, at Buffalo, it only six seasons, which is an impossible place to win, but so like Kansas is. Um, he made this leap with a really under-recruited roster. The only thing he had was he brought a lot of his linemen um, from Buffalo where he had good linemen, and most of those guys are still with the program, which is a great sign. Um, he's a former offensive coordinator, and that huge step up in the offense in year two is one of those things I always look for in a new head coach. Do they improve their side of the ball? And they made a huge, huge jump. I mean, their offense was no joke last season. Um, they actually get three of the new Big 12 teams, which I think is an advantage of the roster. They're one of the few teams that do. So they catch a little big, bit of a break there. Of their five road games this season, four seem very winnable. Um, they also get, um, they're at Nevada. Um, you know, their home games are... Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Cincinnati. 
I don't see any of those as, as unwinnable. Um, their total in Vegas is six. Six. They won six last season. You know, I've talked about this about um, Duke and Illinois. This is another pat on the head total where Vegas is just saying, oh, that's cute. You had a nice little season. Now go back to the kids' table. And Lance Leipold does not play at the kids' table. I'm definitely taking the over on Kansas. I love this. You know, the over is minus 125, so you're, you're laying some. But I love this. This, this team's going to win at least eight, maybe nine, maybe more. Um, what do you think, Nathan? Uh, what is their number? What is the number they're at right six. now? Six. Oh, my gosh. I'm checking it. Uh, six, six, and a half plus, six and a half plus 150. Bet the house. I actually love that, bet, too. Yeah. Absolutely bet the house. Anybody, talk about uh, uh, co- what left coast, right coast bias. Uh, I don't know what these people are watching because Kansas last year was fantastic. Did they lose some games they probably shouldn't have? Yes. But, my gosh, we're talking about Kansas. You know, you can win if you can win eight games at Kansas. It's like you're Alabama. So yeah. they they have a hard time recruiting. They're a basketball school, and he's come in and he's bare knuckle. So I love him. I love everything. Jaden Daniels is a stud. Um, yeah, sixth. My hell, I don't I don't bet I don't I don't bet sports, but that is just stupid. Yeah. Yep. What do you what do you think the uh, what do you guys think that to Kansas to uh, before I, I do my part what do you think uh, Kansas to win the conference? I'm gonna guess like 18, 18 to twenty. Any any, any numbers there, Nathan? I don't know what that means. Can you explain what you're saying? What what what, what odds do you think they give Kansas to win the conference? Oh gosh, long sixty five. Give me a percentage. What 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 percentage do you think? They they have a chance to win it that people yeah. are saying. I don't know. What 7%. do you think the, the sports book? The, so the sports book has like so, so basically like, the sports book puts out a, a probability a number and then you can convert that right. number into a probability. So you think about what? Do you think seven percent? So it's like fourteen. Yeah, it's not gonna be very seven to ten something like yeah. that. So the official line on Bet three six five is forty to one, which converts oh, to two point four percent. No. So the thing is, if you think so, the way betting markets work in that case is, if you think there's a higher than two point four percent chance to win, then you should bet that. And I am definitely going to be betting forty to one. That is an insane number. Yes, uh, it is. Like this is the thing. And, and so the thing is, in terms of in terms of Kansas here, obviously yes, a lot of people are going to say the defense was bad, and it was particularly. Um, again, one of the big takeaways I, I see this on on the thing here. They lost to Texas last year, 55 to 14, despite being them the year before. And if you go back to that game, I think Bijan had like 300 yards. Again, this is the kind of like there Bijan was a lot of part of the, was a big part of the team. And then now that he's gone, because I started picking up on the Bijan was the entire team around this time because I had Kansas in that game and that was sad. But then I realized, oh, this entire team is just Bijan Robinson breaking a tackle, running for 30 yards. Again, I, I have this as stairs up. The offense is is the same. Jaden Daniels is there. He's he won the best quarterback in in the Big Twelve. Hundred percent agree with that. He is actually an amazing quarterback. He was injured for a couple of games in there, which also hooked. But but then yeah, Jason Bean took over. And again, Jason Bean was the starter in the year in which they won two games. And then he he's now this amazing backup. Like the the, the improvement we've seen in this program is insane. When you're building a program basically from the ground up, which is what Lance Leopold did here at Kansas. Obviously, the first thing that you can improve the easiest is offense. You can just have fast people out there running wide receiver, and you can do big people on offensive line. These are easy incremental steps. The harder one is defense. And again, 
it's not overnight for defense, but it got better. And again, it's that next step up in defense isn't particularly hard. I think this. I think this is one of the best teams in the conference. I think over plus one hundred and fifty is insane. Like plus one hundred and fifty for an over six and a half is insane. Love this team to go over. And I actually, I think there is a very good chance we could be seeing this team in. And where where do they play the conference championship game? I don't know where they play the whatever uh, at the conference Kansas championship. City, I think. It, no, they that's basketball. They play it at Jerry World. At Dallas. They play Dallas. Okay, well, oh, that's right. I think we can see this team in Dallas. Yeah, yeah I think this is. This is one of the. This could be one of the best teams in the in the Big Twelve. If they finally figure out how to play defense, and they don't have to play against Bijan Robinson again, I think they're okay. You know what's really cool about that too yeah. is it's not like they have to go in as like the heavy favorite. If they go in against say like Oklahoma or Texas, uh, neither of those coaches have won anything, and I have lines to Leipold, and I've got a ticket at, at, at forty to one. Are you kidding me? Um, where do I sign up? Yeah, I yeah. like that. Well, uh, September th- September thirtieth at Texas. Here we go again. There you go. Yep. <laughs> like yep. this is this is the thing. There's a lot of things that are kind of lining up for this to not be a, like. What's the spread in that game? Like, there's no way it's under a touchdown. Probably what two touchdowns? Maybe three touchdowns. This could. I'm guessing like eleven or twelve would be my guess. Yeah. So yeah, no, me, nah, it's uh, over two touchdowns. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Let me give you a tidbit. BYU plays them in the very first Big 12 game in BYU's history. I am going to tell you right now, if there are more than 6,000 seats available for BYU people to buy, they'll buy the 6,000, and then they'll buy all the other scalper tickets, and mm-hmm. Kansas Stadium will be filled <laughs> with BYU fans. So if you're betting – games and whatever the one i would watch out for is is byu at kansas i'm just good to know heard it here first fair yeah it's pretty close right. to kansas actually yeah it's not that uh, far. um didn't they make What's a movie that? about that called uh, dumb and dumber i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe maybe 